Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to read from verses 1 through to verse 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. The young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Thank you, Peter. Well, a very good evening to you all. Tonight we're finishing off this little series we've had just before the carol services a few weeks ago in the book of Isaiah, looking forward to this wonderful return of Christ. We see hope tonight. We see hope in hopelessness. And we will hopefully see the magnificent person and work of Jesus Christ as we read through uh, the words of Isaiah. So let's pray uh, as we begin. Father, I do pray for each and every one of us in a world without hope, we would know the beauty and wonder of Jesus Christ. We would know his righteousness. We would know what it means to follow him. And so I do pray by your Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts and give us deep encouragement by who you are and how we can trust you tonight. Amen. Well, I wonder if you have found yourself in a place where you struggle for hope. Uh, perhaps you're feeling it uh, at the moment. Uh, maybe you've got, I know some of you from, from chatting to you, that you've got such a position of responsibility, perhaps at work, and uh, perhaps with looking after family, people relying on you, and you're struggling. You're trying to be strong, but you're just not sure you can hold it together. Perhaps you feel heavy under the weight of sin tonight. You're just not growing. Years of being a Christian and feeling like you've just been going backwards over time. Maybe tonight you're here questioning if you've a right to be here at all. You feel like a fraud. Or maybe you have the shadows hanging over you of, of, of Christmas. Lots of joy with Christmas, but shadows hanging over you for what's to come. And I don't just mean and that you've just found out that Amazon Prime doesn't deliver on Christmas Eve. Uh, I, I found out that out yesterday. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm thinking more of uh, exams looming or perhaps waiting on blood tests to come back in the new year, and you're afraid. Or perhaps you're suffering loss. 
Well, where will your help come from? Will things get any better? Or is this all there is? Well, these are the sort of questions um, that we have answers to in Isaiah chapter 11 tonight. There's a huge context and before we hit uh, chapter 11. In chapter 7, uh, we find that King Ahaz, the, the king of Judah, and the people of Judah, well, they're shaking like trees in a strong wind. That's how it's described. They're shaking. They're terrified. They live in fear of attack from the surrounding nations coming in. And Isaiah's job is to tell the king, King Ahaz, look to the Lord. Trust him. He will not let you down, says in chapter 7, verse 4. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. The Lord has kept you thus far. He won't renege on his promises now. But God also knows that Ahaz wouldn't listen. He wasn't interested in, in turning to God. He's too impressed, actually, by the apparent strength of the Assyrians. They're the mighty empire in the east, and he's impressed by them. Ahaz sees their strength, but he's also fearful of what they might do to him. And so Ahaz, he looks to their strength, and he looks to alliance with them. He thinks that's what he needs for security. It's much more important than what God can offer. And I wonder if you've ever been in a, a similar place. Obviously not looking to strength from the Assyrians, but you've got fear of people or a situation. We feel much bigger than God can deal with. God can, of course, be a good backup, a good comfort for us. But what we really need is to take control of those situations, to make provisions for, with the sensible things in front of us, so the security of a, a healthy bank balance we feel could go a long way, or influence of a, a powerful friend. Our health will be fine as long as we've got doctor dot 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 looking after us. We'll be okay then. Or perhaps if we, want, we think we can work harder, we can do bad, better than everyone else in the office, and then our boss will be pleased with us. God is okay, but we can do better by looking to these things. Well, in the chapters before chapter 11, before tonight's passage, we find all those trees that were trembling, shaking in the wind. Well, they've been tragically cut down. They're not there anymore when we get to the prophecy of chapter 11. And the height of the tragedy is in the wielder of the axe. He will be the one who has promised them comfort. He's promised to protect them. The people just had to trust him. Little O God, the backup option, his strength, his being, his offer of love and protection, well, it's not taken seriously enough. And so we, we can read, Judah would be cut down for deciding to trust anyone but God, actually. And God says, you'll be cut down for not trusting me. The Assyrians, they would be cut down too. They would be cut down, we find out in chapter 10, for their arrogance. All their apparent might knocked down to a little dark dot in history as the Lord swings his axe of judgment on them. We can read that just those verses before chapter 11, verses 33 and 34. 
the word of judgment came to Assyria, see the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. Lebanon will fall before the mighty one. And so here we have a true picture of man's greatness at the end of chapter 10. Just like if you drove past a Christmas tree farm in January, where we have a barren, empty field of stumps. Something that once looked alive and well, but is no more. But that's where we come to Isaiah chapter 11, where we read in verse 1, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Lord makes clear, despair not, Israel, for even though you've rejected me before, even though you've rejected me time after time after time, despite turning away to anyone everywhere but to me, well, in your faithlessness, I will respond in faithfulness and see you good. I love you. I will care for you. I bought uh, a bay tree uh, about, it's about 12 or 13 years ago. We bought two. Uh, and we moved to Sheffield just over, well, it's 18 months ago now. Now, it's a London tree. I don't know if it was just feeling obnoxious and not wanting to move up to Sheffield or just feeling insecure from all the green around. Anyway, I'm not sure what the reason was, but it went completely brown. Okay, so all, the, all over the summer, uh, the, the, the tree leaves all went brown and uh, they started to drop off. I wanted to bring it in, actually, but there was only space for um, the tree or me, and I didn't want you to make that, have to make that decision. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, the, the tree went brown. Uh, I brought it to the local uh, garden center, asked my neighbors, who are, are all brilliant gardeners, I think they're always out in the garden, I asked them as well, and they all told me, this tree is dead. It's dead. Once, the term, once they're all brown, they start to drop off, the tree is dead. Well, I couldn't bear it. I, I'd grown quite a close re relationship to, this, to these trees. And so uh, I decided I'd dig it up, uh, I put in the most expensive compost I could find, so that was eight-pound compost rather than seven. Uh, and I, I, I put it in the pot, dug up the roots a little bit, looked on the internet and things you could throw into it. Anyway, to cut a, a, a short story shorter, um, the tree, only three or four weeks ago, really, maybe, maybe six or seven uh, now, a little green shoot has come out um, from one of the things. Fantastic. Thank you for that whoop. Um, that's very, yeah. But it was fantastic. I, my, my neighbors saw me looking at this tree. I think one of them caught me kissing it. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but I was so pleased by what looked dead. This little green shoot um, of hope had come up. Well, that's what we have in chapter 11. Miraculous hope. Miraculous hope. God tells his people, You'll look chopped down. You will look dead on your way to extinction when you're taken into exile. That's for the prophecy to come. You'll be taken into exile and you will look gone. It will look like I've given up on you completely. But take heart. A shoot will come. The shoot, a new shoot of Jesse, as it's described, Jesse, the father of Israel's great king, King David, a great new king will come. That's what, really what we're to understand by the shoot of Jesse. A great new king will come. One like David, but better. And will give ultimate rule to God's people. And so that's what we have tonight in chapter 11. It's a description of the shoot. 
the hope springing out of gloom. There's strength here out of fear. There's life out of death. God's people, they're cut down, a consequence of their own sin and failure to trust their father. Cut down, but not finished. God will not give up on his people, and his kingdom will prevail with an almighty ruler. We have this in Isaiah chapter 7 and 9. We looked at this a few weeks ago. God through Israel has already promised this new king, and tonight we find out the type of person this king is and what it looks like in his kingdom under his rule. Hopefully you've got, um, yep, great. Uh, you've got little notes just at the back um, on a bit of structure, if that, if, that's, uh, if that helps you. So two parts tonight. Verses one to five, we have the king, and we see his character, and we see his actions. And then in the last part, verses six to, seven, six to 10, we have this king's kingdom, what it will look like to live under his rule. So in these first five, first five verses, the king, well, this would be a king like no other. It would be one to lead his people as no other king would or could. You see, humanity was only ever designed to lead under God's authority. Israel had to put up with many, many bad kings. You see, it's not in our makeup to take charge. You know the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. We're not designed to take such power. We simply can't do it. It's not in our makeup. Writer C.S. Lewis spoke about this being the reason he was a proponent of democracy. He wrote of how many um, supported democracy because they mistakenly believe that humankind is so good that everyone deserves a share in government. Because they're so good, we can all have a go at it and all share in it. Well, Lewis wrote that belief was simply not true. The reason why he believed in democracy was the opposite. He said this, quote, mankind is so fallen that no man can be trusted with unchecked power over his fellows. Well, this shoot from the stump of Jesse, he would be different he would be one that could take the power, could hold it, and rule well. And so we see in these verses 2 to 3, just the start of 3a, we see his character. We see the Spirit of the Lord would rest on him in verse 2. We saw this morning, as we looked at Matthew in this morning's service, how the Spirit descends on the Lord Jesus in Matthew 3. It is the Lord Jesus who would have the Spirit upon him. And so who is this spirit? Well, we find out in these verses. In contrast to the boasts of king of Assyria in chapter 10, well, this king would have true wisdom. He would have true understanding. He would be able to see right into any given situation. And he would know a person's heart. He would know exactly what's going on. And he would be on the button every time he judged he would know exactly the right judgment to make, discern exactly what needed to happen. And there would be no injustice, no mistakes. He would have counsel and power. He's able to devise the correct course of action in any given situation. And not only be able to devise the correct action, well, he would have the personal prowess to see it through. He's the planner. 
He's the implementer. I don't know if you do those tests in your, in your office, those work, which, which part of the team you are. Well, he is everything. He's the planner, the implementer. He's the completer, finisher. He's got counsel. He has power. And he would have the spirit of knowledge, and he would have significantly the fear of the Lord. That is, he would have true knowledge. He would understand truth, and he would apply it perfectly to life. Verse 3, he would delight in the fear of the Lord. His life would be lived for God's glory alone. And he would demonstrate this in perfect obedience. His conduct, well, it would be exemplary. And while human leaders, in comparison, live out their insecurities every day, they soak up praise wherever they can get it, trying to feed on self-worth and growing many in arrogance, well, this king would delight in the fear of the Lord. He would know God's true worth, and he would bask in it. And his action, well, his action would be consistent with the character he is. Now, it, it wouldn't be unfair to, at times, if you know me well, to call me impractical, uh, maybe even, perhaps even, absent-minded um, at times. We were, we were once on a, a large um, ferry crossing across the, the RSC a couple of years ago, uh, and just before, you know, they make the call just at the end, um, before you're, you're ready to get off um, to, to go down to the deck. Well, um, Lucy took one of our kids, we've got three, uh, and Lucy took one of our kids off um, to the bathroom um, before we were going on on our car journey. So she said she'd meet me at the car. Uh, I thought that was a, a well and good plan, straightforward enough. So I took the two young kids, they were pretty, pretty small at the time, uh, and I, I took them down. And what would happen, but I couldn't find the car. <laughs> I couldn't find the car anywhere. And I walked around for 10, 15 minutes. I could, I could very much feel uh, engines starting to rev uh, as I walked around this silly boat looking for a car. Uh, and uh, as I walked around, we couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, and I, I was terrified. I had, in the end, the cars just went for it. So they, did, they, they released them, basically, with me, with two toddlers, and basically one in each hand, standing right in between the lanes, and the cars just started to come at us. They were screaming in terror, the pair of them. I started to scream in terror uh, as I saw them uh, coming at me. Well, it's an action consistent with my character. I could tell you many stories uh, about places that uh, I've got into, which I really shouldn't have, but it's part of my character uh, to completely forget where cars are parked. Uh, it's completely consistent. And we have here complete consistency. The actions of this king are completely in keeping with his character. So he doesn't create pretense here. He isn't an entertainer. He doesn't resort to showmanship to please others. His behavior demonstrates who he is. And that's what we see here in these verses three to five. His actions are revealed through his character. It's revealed in his action. And as he inwardly delights in the fear of the Lord, he delights, he's joyful in the Lord. He's basking in the, in the Lord's presence. Well, outwardly, he commits himself to righteousness his judgments, will they not based on outward appearance? His action will be righteous. It will be just. And if you're someone who has ever been wronged in any way, well, you will know how secure this should have us feel. To have someone 
who is righteous, just, who will rule in this way. Someone who will finally right wrongs, so he'll protect the abused. He'll bring justice to the many who arrogantly boast. They can get away with whatever they want. Well, not forever they won't. From the close-up relational bullying, manipulation, intimidation, to oppressive national regimes. I'm currently reading the, the Kulma uh, tales, the stories from the uh, Russian concentration camps uh, I'm reading. Uh, it's uh, under Lenin and, and Stalin. A fascinating read, a beautiful read uh, in many ways if you haven't read it. But boy, does it leave you crying out for justice to be done the wrongs that were seemingly they got away with at the time. Well, under this king's rule, all will be made right. It's a rule like no other the world has ever seen. His mouth, you can read it in these verses. His lips, so holy, all evil will shudder before him. Evil will be terrified of this holiness, of this king. And Jesus' obedience and service in the Old Testament, how it's told, well, it will be glorious. He is holy. And we see here a mighty warrior king. Sometimes I think Jesus in the New Testament is confused with weakness. He serves. He obeys the Father perfectly. And I think as some people read that, they think he's weak. They don't want to see someone do that. It's weakness. Well, here we see a mighty warrior king. He wears righteousness and faithfulness. And no one will stand in his way. No one can stand in his way. And this is the king who would come to give hope. And if you're looking for someone to follow tonight, perhaps you have, as Pete mentioned, been at the carol services over the last couple of weeks, and perhaps you're looking for someone, something to follow tonight, someone to give you direction, someone to trust, someone to give you hope, someone to listen to and know exactly what is going on in your life. No one else can understand you. Perhaps you feel like that. Well, this Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is that person. No longer babe in manger in these verses, but all-conquering king. And through Advent, Pete's mentioned, Christians dwell on preparing for Jesus to come again in the future. Well, it is this king who is coming again. It's this king of this stature that one awaits. And can I encourage you tonight, can I plead with you, please don't make King Ahaz's mistake of completely underestimating who this king is. I took my kids to a, a Santa's grotto uh, yesterday, and the Santa uh, asked the normal question, what would you like for Christmas? And uh, my two kids, two of, two out of the three, and Karis, my four-year-old, she, she smiled and looked up at Santa and asked for a magazine. And the six-year-old George, he asked for a lump of clay. I have no idea where either of them got those, those answers from, but the Santa looked at me, uh, I think unsure whether I was just a cruel parent um, uh, or maybe perhaps a very clever uh, parent. I, I'm not sure uh, one, but my kids, don't be like my kids expecting so little when you could get so much. This king is everything. Don't expect little from him. He is everything a, a person could ever want for in a leader, wise, he's all-knowing, he's the perfect judge, 
righteous and faithful. And as Isaiah 11 shows us the character and ability of the person of Jesus Christ, well, it also gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to live with him in his kingdom. And this is, is, this is more briefly, but having a look at his kingdom in verses 6 to 10. We will provide a, he will provide a kingdom for us that's fit for him to dwell in. And if it's fit for him to dwell in, we know it's going to be very good. And we will reap the benefits of it. See, these verses show us the consequence of our sin in the world and how they are reversed. Actually, the peace, we've got peace here of Christ's global kingdom. So verses 6 to 9, we see a reversal of the fall. It shows us a picture of something radically new here. Verse 6 is a, a reconciliation of old hostilities. Can you think of the material that David Attenborough would have in these verses? The wolves and the lambs, the leopards and the goats, the calves and lions all together beside each other. This new kingdom will be wonderful. It will be spectacular. It means the very nature of the animals are changed. The previously wild bear, well, is now domesticated and grazes. Can you think of the, the, poor, the relief for the poor gazelles? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I all, I'm a sucker for the gazelles every time you watch these, these nature programs. The poor, there's always the poor young gazelle by the lake feeding. They're all together. And then this, this massive thing coming up uh, behind. No one, everyone else sees it. They all clear off. And this one little, this, this one young end is just fooled by it. Has no idea. Drinking the water, playing around. And you know what happens. No hope for the gazelle. Well, this scene is a very different one in the new kingdom. The lion is too busy playing like a kitten, and he's tearing into straw instead. There's no strong and weak anymore. There's just peace. Who's relying on this wonderful king? It's permanent peace. I think we get a bit, bit of that as the young lie together. The next generation on are also lying together. They're reaping the reward of this new order. There's no danger now. So verse 8, well, babies can stick their hands in vipers' nests. This would be an encouragement to the, the parents. They can stick their hands in, in vipers' nests, or they can stick their hand in plug holes or drain pipes, or they can pull blinds, or they can play with small toys, or they can chew Lego. They can do whatever they want, and they will be fine. Parents can relax. They can sip cocktails, and they can finally finish the conversation that they started with somebody else. And did you catch the reason why this can happen in verse 9? Have a look. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Why is that the case? There will be universal peace because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, as the waters cover the sea round the earth. The earth will be full of the knowledge of this Lord, and it will be spectacular. You see, when Christ returns, the spirit of the king, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, well, it's so present, it's so powerful, that it fills the earth with the knowledge of God, and it changes everything, every little detail of your life that you find hard. You find painful, you're suffering, you're struggling. 
gone. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And it will be magnificent. Very, very finally, verse 10, we see this wonderful gathering of the nations to find rest. See, this is the reverberations this king has around the world. Now, it's not local. The nations will come to him. We can read this in, in the book of Revelation. Jesus takes his identity from verse 1 and verse 10 of this, of this passage of Isaiah 11. He's a shoot, yes, from the stump of Jesse, but he is also, did you notice verse 10? He is also the root. And Jesus puts it like this in Revelation 22. I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star, not just a descendant of David, one who is to come, but also the root of David, the one in whom everyone and everything came from. He's the source and the offspring. He's the beginning and he's the end. And as we find in verse 10, he's not simply of interest to one people group. No, this king's rule is overall his kingdom will be multinational. The nations hear who he is. They hear the character and action of this king. They're told what he's done. They're told he's died on a cross for you to bring peace with God. And they love him for it. And they flock to him. And can I just say, if you haven't taken that invitation for yourself yet, he offers himself for you. Tonight, he offers himself to you. This is the reason why this king died, to bring you peace with God. And so can I encourage you, come to him, worship him, trust him, enjoy him. He brings life. We'll have many dis important decisions to make over the next few days. Cranberry with your turkey, gravy on your cauliflower and cheese, custard or ice cream with your Christmas pudding. Well, following Jesus is the one decision you want to get right. And he offers himself. We can see it in Isaiah 11. We can see it through the whole Bible. He offers himself to you tonight. If you'd like to find out more, I'd love a conversation with you, even chat to a friend that's brought you along. There's much we can say. Well, the nations are gathered, God's people restored, the curse removed, new heaven, new earth, no harm, no destruction anymore, and the world will finally rest. And they will rest in and because of this wonderful king. And so, if you're a full-time carer for your sick mom, perhaps the pressure at work is unbearable, you're burdened by your past sin, you feel isolated, you're alone, you're fearful perhaps for your future, where can you turn? Well, you can turn to this king, Jesus Christ. Trust him, rely on him. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one eternal shining beacon of Christmas who is wise and understanding. He's of good counsel. He's powerful. He's full of knowledge and reverence. And he knows you. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you need in any given situation. And he's come to bring us life. Let's pray. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. And Father, we come before you now and we praise you 
that we will rest in you for eternity. And it is all because of your King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come humbly before you in joy tonight and thank you. Thank you for his wonder. Thank you for his rule. Thank you for his character. Thank you for his death for us. And so we do pray over the next few days we would indeed revel in him, rejoice in him, and be glad. Amen.